Hello, I'm Anthony Morrow and welcome to the Get On The Money podcast, where I give you those money lessons you never got to have at school. I've worked in the finance industry for over 20 years. I got fed up watching those people who don't need any help get richer, while the people who need the most help continue to struggle. You've mainly been hearing from young people in their 20s in this podcast, and the gig economy is something that's come up in almost every episode, because so many young people are working in it. What do I mean by the gig economy? It's where you take on short-term contracts or freelance work rather than having a permanent job. So, how can you look after your financial future when your work is always short-term? In this episode, I'm going to give you my financial survival toolkit when it comes to saving for retirement, whether you're employed, freelancing, or self-employed. You'll hear from Andy, who's otherwise known as the comedian Smug Roberts, and his son Josh. They both work in the gig economy. What my dad's allowed me to see is that it can be something I make money from and live off. Money's like being stuck in a traffic jam. Make sure you've got a flask and a sandwich. But first, let me tell you about what I've spotted in the news recently, which will give you an insight into what people think about pensions. I've briefly mentioned pensions. Now, usually, whenever the subject of pensions comes up, people automatically hit the snooze button. The thing about them, though, is that they are a really important part of planning for your financial future. And the sooner that you start paying into one, then the better it is for you long term. Now deciding when to start your pension is a difficult question. And it seems that young people at the moment aren't prioritising what's going to happen to them when they retire. A survey from one advice firm recently found that young people are putting off paying into a pension and they're putting that down to the effects of the pandemic. Another recent survey found that one in 10 young people had decided not to have children just so that they could retire early. That's a remarkable statistic. A couple of episodes ago, I spoke to Bethan, who's 23. She decided that she wasn't going to put herself under pressure to scrimp and save just to get on the housing ladder. The pandemic had made her realise that life is for living. And yet, at the same time, she'd also made some investments. It's all about balance, isn't it? Getting into a pension early can be part of that balance. You don't have to scrimp and save. It's all about starting sooner rather than later. I'll explain more about that later on. Another survey from the savings provider Cushion found that 41% of people they spoke to said they wanted their employers to redirect some pension money into a separate pot. They wanted to use that money now and in the medium term. Times are tight, so you can understand why people are making these decisions. Like I said, it's all about finding a balance. And I will be telling you more about this after we've heard from Andy and Josh. So that's my take on pensions in the news. How old were you when you first started paying into a pension? Or is it something you've still not thought about yet? I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line at chat at getonthemoneypodcast.com Get on the money. Straight talking, no jargon, helping you make sense of your money. Hello Andy, hello Josh. Welcome to the Get on the Money podcast. 
Well, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, hello. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing very much on younger people, and I was really keen to try and get a parent and son combination on, because I wanted to hear what different generations think about money. But before we get into the detail, I think I'd really like to find out a bit more about you and what you do. Andy, I mentioned earlier that people know you as Smug Roberts, the comedian and actor, but you weren't always doing that, were you? No, I'm Manchester born and bred. I went to be a graphic designer and ended up being a sound writer. And then in 1995, I walked into the Frog and Bucket and um, a lady approached me and just by complete fluke, it was Carolina Hearn. <laughs> and uh, she mentored me from that point on. And so that, that little dare that I did of doing a bit of comedy turned into a, well, I suppose now, a 25-year career. So, yeah, and doing lots of different things up, up to that point. Having kids, losing houses, divorces, you know, that kind of thing. All the, all the good stuff that you should do if you're looking after your money. <laughs> and when did you realise that you could actually make a living from this rather than the jobs that you've been doing? What happens is it's a very precarious business anyway, you know, like because you're only earning 10 bob when you, when you first start out because everything... Even more so now, I don't think they even get paid for open spots. Was I was fortunate that uh, I was doing some, what you call freelance, unpaid work on uh, Key 103, which was a radio station in Manchester. And I came up with this uh, Grandad Roberts character. And to cut a very long story short, we ended up doing a novelty record and getting a few grand off Warner Brothers, completely <laughs> out of the blue. They bought the rights to the song and gave me and my partner at the time in the record deal, Archie Kelly. Kenny the Liar out of Phoenix Nights and various other things. Yep. Uh, so we were just chancing our arm, to be honest. And um, that gave us the opportunity to say, right, well, so, that, so that was, I started in 95 and in 98 I got a wad of money. Uh, I decided to start, we were advised at that point as well to do, um, to get a limited company because there was a kind of a tax break then of whatever it was it was cheaper than paying income tax so we did that and that was my first kind of lesson in finance really switching from steady pay to gigging it's quite interesting because obviously a lot of people are increasingly looking at the gig economy as a way in which they're earning their living through either freelancing or self-employed and and moving away from full-time jobs and that first leap and the nerves and potential worry about where the next paycheck is coming from can hold some people back. Do you still have those worries now, even 25 years ago? I think you may just grow used to it, but I think you need, in my case, I needed Josh's mum to be very supportive about what I was doing. And she was very supportive and gave me an opportunity to to do that. And then when the money, not so much money, loads of money, but a wage, you know, something I could rely on, something I could build up, something if I needed to borrow money, I could. That was the opportunity to do that then when we got the record deal, if you like. And then also when you get a little bit of recognition, it gets you more gigs. But you've got to work really hard at it, you know, yeah. and it's really, really precarious because... You, and there was a company called Jonglers that were a big company and they, they paid guaranteed money for weekends. But what you didn't want to do was throw all your eggs in one basket and become a Jonglers act because professionally that wasn't very good because people would think you were a hack comic. But you would do... You'd get well looked after for two weekends a month, which would pay the mortgage. 
And how about you, Josh? Because you followed your dad into the creative industries. Yeah, it, well, it's interesting because obviously seeing my dad do comedy throughout my childhood was something that I really enjoyed, but also I think I naturally went into because what you get from a performative aspect with my dad performing and doing comedy obviously is part of his personality as well. And that's obviously something that's that I have traits of as, as, as well. So I think it was sort of natural that I'd go into the creative industry. And I think it had a little bit something to do with me, like I'm dyslexic, so I struggle with writing and reading and stuff, not massively, but just enough for me to lose attention if there's uh, anything too wordy. So I think I could express myself a lot through performance and stuff like that. So yeah, so I, I initially went into acting straight away, doing amateur dramatics groups, and then, and then I got in with a theatre called Contact Theatre, who it's a theatre for young people but it offers performances for everyone so from that I joined their young company then after that I jumped onto a program that they run called Creative Experts and that was about how you can use your creative skills to teach others and get paid for it so that was a massive eye-opener for me because then I could use these skills that I've got and share them with younger people or people who haven't yet explored them fully and uh, yeah get paid for my time so that was that was kind of massive for that but there's been loads of stuff where you know, I think it's really helped that I've had my dad as that role model to kind of be like, oh, well, you can make a living from doing creative stuff. Because if not, I think there's a time that comes where, you know, young people have to decide, right, do I have to give up this sort of uh, hobby? Because I suppose it is at that point. Or can I crack on with it, make a living out of it? Or do I need to go and get that office job and, and eat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Andy, what's, what's been your approach to talking about money with your children? open in the sense that I brought all my kids up by saying having a philosophy that if you have to, if they're able to ask a question then I can answer that question as best I can at the age they are and that philosophy went right through from when I was a child with my mum and dad mm. I could ask them anything and they would try and answer it and the same with the, with the money so Josh when he was starting up or even before that I would make sure they had a bank account when they were younger make sure they were saving and make, and and also even old school things like getting paid for doing a job to earn the pocket money type thing. I, I remember, Josh could probably remember better than I can, but the, about the £50 note thing. Yeah, there was a there was some sort of big job that Dad was doing at the time and he, he managed, he got, well, he got paid in a £50 note, I think. So he gave me the £50 note and said, right, here you go, you can keep this £50 note if you double it by doing jobs for people or, or well basically he didn't he didn't give me any inkling he just said double this and you can keep keep it all <laughs> that was a good that was a good lesson and got me to be thinking about how I can make money at the at the uh, ripe old age of I think it was about 13 or 12 you've got to learn sometimes son. you got to learn, learn sometimes <laughs> but my daughter my daughter used to stay at mine after I split up from Nicole and Josh's mum so I got a place of my own but I always remember my daughter who's now 30 and she's also self-employed, sitting on the bed and going, Dad, you can't just leave this money lying around. Because <laughs> I was earning a lot of cash because it was it was a cash society then, not like now. And yeah. if I didn't bank the cash, it would mysteriously just go on nothing. Mm. You know, and that's when you have to start working to a budget because I could maybe have 600 quid cash in my pocket. And I remember young comedians that were doing well going, shit, I've got 600 quid in my pocket. And I've never had that much money for my life, you know, and what do we do with it? And you end up spending it if you don't bank it. Yeah, you always find you always find ways to spend it, don't you, if it's just there. Yeah, most definitely. I'd, I was a, I'd go around shops buying records, 
looking looking to the future when it comes to planning for retirement andy I mean, is there such a thing as retirement? Do you view that, or is it just a case of... Well, I honestly wouldn't mind doing a Tommy Cooper, you know, and popping <laughs> up on stage. I don't mind that. That would be probably the ultimate, you know, the ultimate... <laughs> <"Da-da!"> <laughs> but I think what you have to be careful of when you're working in the arts or, or any kind of uh, creative industry, if you like, where you're gigging, is because when I was a kid, I was told that bricks and mortar would be my pension. And I got sold an endowment policy for my first house. So if you you know like like Josh and younger people wouldn't even know what an endowment policy was, yeah. and I got sold by this suave bank manager that my endowment policy I should have a just pay the interest on my mortgage the money that I borrowed from my first house, and that this uh, miraculous endowment policy would 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 take up any shortfall, yeah. and I thought that my bricks and mortar would be my pension, but obviously that's not how things turned out. And then another thing you do when you're in my game is you keep going, you keep going, you keep going because you think you're going to get that big advert or that big break and that'll pay for everything that's been accumulating. So you have to keep one eye on that so you don't end up potless and living in some home run by... A retirement home. Yeah, like a retirement run by Spotlight or by Equity. you You know what I mean? And I'm not knocking anybody who ends up like that because I just don't want to end up like that myself, you know, and hopefully make a shed load, but the pension side of it, yeah, I was always told to get a pension, uh, life insurance, life insurance, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. Because I didn't want to leave the kids with nothing and have to pay, you know, bury me, basically. They're all sensible things, pension, life insurance, endowments weren't great, were probably flogged by salesmen trying to get commissions out there. So we've spoken about housing and property ownership. What about other ways in which you've been planning for your future pensions savings i think for me was it was like a myth really that you'd buy a house you'd get a pension but now with the the way things are it's difficult to combine the both of them and you've got to make a big decision on whether you think to put your money in bricks and mortar or keep your pension going or take your pension out and buy a house or and i think that's the difficulty for people it must be even more difficult for uh, young people coming through now because if they're renting, they haven't even got any collateral to borrow money or anything. Have they? You know, back in the day, you always had the bricks and mortar to, that you could raise funds on to start a business or to, to do whatever. Go even get a loan for a holiday. You know, you could secure it on your house, couldn't you? But now, like you know, everybody's at full capacity paying massive amounts of money every month for a mortgage. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit wary of what's going to happen. Yeah, what do you make of it all? Josh, because I think we, me and your dad have just painted a fairly bleak picture. Uh... <laughs> well, it is, it is a question, isn't it, of when do you start a pension and stuff like that? Like, I'm 24 now, and I've been with my girlfriend for about eight years now, so a lot of those conversations do come in, come into play and about property and stuff like that, but I think I have savings that I save into. I've also technically got a help to buy ISA as well that I don't know that much about, but I know I've got £10 in it. Um, <laughs> but I only did that to open it. Um, yep. But I know that's something that I need to, maybe if I'm going with that, is to start um, a direct debit into it and, and feeding that up. It's all very blurry, you see, and, and especially when coming to pensions and stuff, I wouldn't know where to start at all. But I do know that just having money on my side and saving up into an account as I go is something that I kind of prioritise, especially because I'm freelance and I, if, if I have a low period, then I pay myself out of that big pot of money that I kind of have sitting about. I think there's been a shift as well. 
the way things are financially in the past, I think there's definitely a trend now where it's not so much the house, the uh, the bank of dad, mum and dad, it's the bank of grand and granddad. <laughs> because they their, their pensions are maturing now and they're in a comfortable position. Whereas my generation and those coming up don't have that same security that, say, Josh's grandparents have got. They're more, what's the word, fluid, more, more cash-rich, if you like, yeah. and they can help out. And, and that, also, I think that's a legacy of the Thatcher years and the buying and the selling and the, you know... It definitely open. is. And there's, inter- and, you know, and there's periods of you know, high interest rates. Mm-hmm. They'll all have properties that will have increased in value quite significantly. So over the next couple of decades, there is potentially going to be a big transfer of all that money down the generations if you're lucky enough to have grandparents who have got wealthy and, and you know have got houses and things like that bearing all that in mind then Andy you've obviously got children of different ages and at different stages of their life how are you discussing this with them and what what hopes do you have for them in the future well I feel like some kind of money expert <laughs> without the qualifications you know giving out advice because obviously with Nicole it's well done what a brilliant, what a brilliant achievement you, you managed to get on the property ladder, and then with Josh, it's he's done everything right so far, and hopefully his earnings will increase. But he's got to keep saving, he's got to keep doing this. But then, for me, my twelve-year-old Oliver, it's a different ball game. It's going to be a totally different ball game for him because maybe I might be giving him advice when I look into it in another ten years. Hopefully, after he's been to uni or gets a job or whatever that it might be what we were saying before about the the European uh, rental system where his assets will be put into into maybe a pension instead of bricks and mortar. So it's a, for me, I don't think we get a chance, Like, and that's exactly what this podcast is about, is to sit down and, and assess your situation. And you know how much better you feel when you've got a plan. Yeah. And, and yeah. you've got to be able to adapt to that plan as well. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's a message we try and give out that, you know, the, the starting point has to be just understanding what money you've got, what money you've got coming in and what's going out. And then from that, it might not look great, but at least you can start forming a plan on which to but do if you've that. Got a plan, if you've got a plan, you can set targets, you can set yeah. sales targets, you can set personal targets, you can set anything to it. And yeah. then that's then down to motivation ability, focus, you know, all those kind of things. Josh, compared to some of your friends or other young people you know, do you think you've got a better understanding of money because of how your dad has helped you and the advice and support he's given you over the years? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting as well because because I, do, I don't know that many other people, um, you know, especially from my school, for example, that do the job that I do. So they're in a very different situation, you know, if they've gone down a full-time job route where it's day in, day out, nine till five, you know, you see their progression in maybe getting a house or something. But I think, yeah, what isn't there is that they're almost, what my dad's allowed me to see is that I can be sort of in charge of my own stuff and I can know what money I'm getting in and be comfortable with what I'm getting and what I've put it towards. So I really don't think that I'd be comfortable in a full-time nine to five job. So in terms of, Money, I wouldn't be able to say necessarily, but in terms of like the value, I suppose. But then what I see the value in is that sort of that lifestyle that has been passed down and and that comfort that, you know, it it can be something I make money from and live off. 
Oliver's granddad, not Josh's granddad, because there's another partner, he used to say, money's like being stuck in a traffic jam. Make sure you've got a flask and a sandwich. <laughs> and if you get <laughs> if you get stuck in traffic, <laughs> you, you know, you won't starve. <laughs> Wise words. And it used to make me laugh because it was like proper, like old school sort of like, look, this is what you do. Yeah, but it makes sense. You know, you do have to have if you can. You know what I say? I, I say just. To, I'll just quickly tell you what I say sometimes in mis- when I'm when I'm doing stand up. Is I think it's got to that point now in society where you look after yourself, your mental health, and your health, and then you look after your family, and if you can, you'll help someone else. And I think everybody's got that in them. And never lose that ability to, if someone staggers, your first instinct is to help, is not to let them fall to the floor. And that's where kind of the rules I live by. I'll try and help anybody I can, but not to the detriment of my family. I have to look after them first because that's my priority. And I think you have to have priorities in life where you, you do that kind of thing and plan out what you can and can't give. Yeah, and I think, do you know what? I think that I think the, the vast majority of people, you know, believe that and follow that and I think it can be quite easy sometimes because of how we tend to be real concentrate on social media and that that you can get the impression that the world is full of terrible people and everyone's <laughs> just like selfish and 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 whatnot whereas actually the reality is very different anytime I've done something of note you know that's been either profile or well-paying I've never had any animosity from my friends that I grew up with. They've always gone, oh, bang on, well done, mate. That's fantastic. And I've really been lucky that I've got those kind of friends. And I know Josh has got those kind of friends where there's no jealousy, there's no resentment. You know, I mean, there will be a little bit on the perimeter, uh, the periphery of it, of it all, but that's, that's the kind of friends you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just before we wrap up, Andy, I believe you've got a quite unique way of looking at this overall, haven't you? I sometimes, again, do this uh, as a kind of a anecdote at the end of my set, is I want you to think that every day in the week is a decade in your life. So, for instance, if you're 10 years of age, you're a, a Monday, yeah? If you're Josh's age, he's 24, he's a Wednesday afternoon at the moment. So, Anthony, how old are you? 47. So you're, well, you're, you're, a, are you a Friday? Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it will be Friday. Yeah, yeah we'll be Friday. 40s, Thursday. Yeah, you're like a Friday, right. Friday Thursday. five o'clock-ish. Yeah. Friday five o'clock And I think what, what it makes you do, it makes you focus on, if you're old, it scares the shit out of you. <laughs> but if you're younger, it's not too bad. But I'm, I worked it out and I'm 61 now. So bloody hell, I'm like, I'm a Sunday. But I keep going and I keep going and I keep going. No one but telling you what's even better is a bank holiday Monday. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm aiming for. To keep my health, to keep financially secure and enjoy my bank holiday Monday. Because then bank holiday Mondays are cracking. You know, you can have a line on a Sunday night. Oh. So there you go. You can have that. <laughs> Thank you very much. And thanks for uh, both of you coming in on the podcast. It's been really interesting speaking to you and... Best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I say it's been very, very enjoyable. Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks very much for having us. It was
was really interesting to hear what a dad and son think about money. Both Andy and Josh work in the gig economy, quite literally. You've got son Josh, who, at 24, doesn't know much about pensions yet, but he is managing to earn a living in a career that can be incredibly difficult to sustain. Whilst Andy, Josh's dad, has had 25 years in comedy, going from gig to gig. When it comes to money, in Andy's experience, he's seen people prioritising owning a house over getting a pension. So, what's more important? Here's my financial survival toolkit when it comes to thinking about your long-term future and pensions. Let me break down the different types of pensions first. If you're on a permanent contract, you should have access to the workplace pension. It's always a good idea to get onto these as early as you can. Since 2012, it's been the law that if you're over 22 years old and you earn more than £10,000 a year, you automatically get enrolled into a workplace pension. It's called auto-enrolment. Why is that a good thing? Well, you pay towards it out of your salary every month, but your employer also pays towards it. This tax relief means that say for example you paid £80 a month into your pension, then the government would top that up to £100 a month. It's essentially free money. And the younger you start, the more that builds up gradually over time. If you're self-employed or a freelancer or work in the gig economy like Andy and Josh, then you don't have an employer and therefore you're not entitled to be enrolled into a workplace pension. But you do still get tax relief. And that comes into play when you start filling out tax returns, which I've talked about in a previous episode of the Get On The Money podcast. If you take out a private pension, then you won't have to pay as much tax at the end of the year. Let's talk about pensions versus housing. Like Andy touched on earlier, people do wonder about whether to invest their money in one or the other. So, is it ever a good idea to forget about a pension completely? Or should you just try your hardest to get on the property ladder? Here's what I think. I think pensions are a really important part of everybody's plan for the future and retirement. Even if that may seem years and years away, what we need to remember is as we get older, then our ability to earn or even our desire to keep working will diminish. But we will still need money to spend in our retirement. Where is that money going to come from? Yes, the government will provide you with a small state pension, but the amount that this is, particularly for young people now, even if that exists at all in what could be 40 years time, is questionable. So why risk getting to your 60s and retirement and not having any money there to spend? The problem with properties is Yes, they've really grown and the value of them has gone up significantly over the last few decades. But you can't spend bricks and mortar. And you still need to live somewhere. So that's why having a real balance between, yes, your property, a pension and other savings, to have it there to give you that security and peace of mind that when you do get old, then... You know, it all adds up to something that can make sure that your retirement is is as enjoyable as you deserve it to be. If you're getting good tips and advice from Get On The Money, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
The Get On The Money podcast is out every other Thursday. To continue the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Get On The Money. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.